there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Hey, welcome to New City Online. I'm Ron, I'm the online pastor here. And if it's your first time tuning in with us, we wanna say a special welcome to you. And if you've been tuning in for a little while now and you wanna take that step toward connection, we wanna make that as easy as possible. You can go to our website, newcity.us connect, fill out the simple form there, and I'll be in touch with you this week. And hey, we know Thanksgiving was just a few days ago, but we're jumping headfirst into the Christmas season. And we're, do, we're doing that tonight, starting with a special night of worship and communion called Renewal Night. You can tune in live to that at 7 o'clock p.m. on all of our streaming platforms. We'd love to have you join us there. And for everything happening Christmas-related, you can go to our website, christmasatnewcity.us. There you can find out about service times and locations as well as online and download our Advent Resource Guide. This is gonna be a great guide for you and your family or you and your small group or just you individually to walk through over these next few weeks. And hey, if you wanna learn more about giving and about partnering with New City Church, you can go to our website, newcity.us give. Now let's get ready to worship together. Well, welcome to New City Online. We're glad you're here with us today. Hear these words of encouragement and victory from Exodus. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. So let's sing and celebrate today together. I 
Welcome, New City. Uh, thank you so much for being here, and welcome to all of you for wherever you're at today. I hope that your Thanksgiving was awesome, that you had a great time with family, with friends, whether that was in person or, or virtual or a little bit of both. But I do hope that your Thanksgiving was such an encouragement to you and a great reminder of all that we have to be grateful for. And, and there's always a good time for some confession, confession time. Um, how many of us ate way too much? I know for me, it's always those, those sides. It's always going back for that extra scoop of candied yams or mashed potatoes and gravy. Maybe for you, it's the pies, the desserts. Uh, but all that to say, hopefully many of us are coasting off of still the food, but also and mainly uh, the, the memories, the fun with, with our family and friends. I have a question for us this morning, and here it is. What happens when we've sinned Again, and again is the key word in this question. What happens when we've blown it again, when we've messed up again? And I know that many of us can feel the weight of that question because we've been there many times. Maybe even some of us are feeling the weight of that question, even today after the week we've just had, where you might be coming into this space, this moment, um, remembering a time where you've ex- you exploded at your kids again or you went too far again, or you lied again. Chris Payne, a couple weeks ago, referenced a statement by Alexander White where where White says, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And we need to hear that. But also what's interesting is that we're going to see the need for that new beginning here in Nehemiah chapter 13, the last chapter of the book, which is crazy. Because you wouldn't expect the story to end the way that it does. If the book ended in Nehemiah 12 with the people of God having this amazing day of thanksgiving and praise and the the joy of Jerusalem is being heard far and wide, or if the book would have ended in Nehemiah 10 where the people of God are all, all speaking as one and saying, we will not neglect the house of the Lord and they're committing in that way. If the book would have ended there, it would be this joyous, feel-good story that would match the typical fairy tale ending that we're all used to. But not this story. The end of Nehemiah is abrupt. It's not so cheery. It's not the happy hallmark ending that we'd expect. In Nehemiah 13, everything that the people had devoted themselves to in the previous chapters, chapters 10, 11, 12, gets blown up. Every promise gets broken. And Nehemiah is stepping right back in to right the wrongs and call the people back to the Lord one more time. Which in a lot of ways, if we're honest, um, reveals a a more real picture of our lives and hearts. Sadly, far too often we find ourselves moving back into patterns that we shouldn't be back in. Or we we find ourselves compromising or growing complacent in our faith or or moving away from the Lord. We're so quick to say amen and yet days later or even sadly moments later, we need to confess again. And yet, it's in the midst of the gravity of that, it's in the midst of the gravity of this chapter that I believe the Lord wants us to see something more before the book ends. He wants us to capture a vision of something that the Lord is doing, that he is doing, and something that the Lord desires so much for us, and that's this, that he wants us to know and see that he is rebuilding and renewing a people who are marked by grace and motivated by his glory. Marked by grace and motivated 
by his glory. And, and the grace becomes the defining characteristic of us as his people. And his glory becomes the, the fuel, the motivation that moves us to live for him. And we're hopefully going to catch that vision here today as we look at chapter 13. Now, if you have a copy of the scriptures, I'd love for you to start turning to Nehemiah 13. And if you're using the New City app today, uh, there's some sermon notes that you can follow along with us as we go through this. But also the, the, the scriptures are going to be preloaded there for you as well. As you're turning there, let me just set a little bit of the context. The events of Nehemiah 13 fast forward us to about two years later in the story. And during these two years, this two-year gap, we see that Nehemiah leaves Jerusalem. He travels back to Susa, checks in with the king, spends some time there, and then he travels back to Jerusalem. So in that two-year period, he's he's away. You may recall at the beginning of the, of the book of, of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah initially goes to the king and requests permission to go to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, uh, the king asks him these questions. He asks him, how long are you going to be gone? And when are you going to come back? And, and, and as the story unfolds, Nehemiah, is, he spends 12 years in Jerusalem rebuilding the walls, reestablishing the city and bringing revival to the people. I, I, don't, think he was, I don't think he intended to be gone for that long. But again, it shows Nehemiah's commitment to the call that God placed on him. Where he spends 12 years helping the people of God rally back to what, to what they were called to do. And then he goes back and he checks in with the king. And what's that quote? That while the cat is away, the rats come out to play. Well, Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem and you can just imagine him as he steps into the situation. I don't have hair to, to pull out, but you can imagine Nehemiah looking at at the people and he discovers significant problems that demand correction as he returns. And, and so that's the context that the chapter that we find in the chapter. And the chapter really then flows through two primary storylines. You have the primary storyline of the people's uh, compromise and broken promises. And then you see Nehemiah uh, stepping in with such courage and determination to right the wrongs. And it goes back and forth throughout the chapter. So if you're, if you're in chapter 13, would love to have our eyes be turned to verses 4 through 9. I, I'd love to show us this first glimpse of the people's compromise and broken promises. Let's read the word of the Lord together. Verse 4. Now before this, Eliashib, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were, be given, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem, and then I discovered the evil. So that's the context that I just spoke into. But he comes back to Jerusalem, he discovers the evil, verse 7, that Eliashib Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God, and I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Wait, what's happening? Tobiah, the Ammonite, the villain of the story, Nehemiah's enemy, the one who along with Samballat the entire time 
is, is working against God's people, against the plan of God, and now he's weaseled his way into the, the, the chamber of the house of God, the temple. It's crazy. How, do we get, how did it get here? And this is bad on, on so many fronts. Tobiah was an enemy. He was an intruder. He was not a follower of Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel. His presence defiled the temple and was a clear violation of God's word. Verses 1 and 2 of this chapter speaks to that. And it's, it's calling us back to remember Deuteronomy 23 where, where, where the law of Moses said that no Ammonite or Moabite should, should enter into the assembly of God because of their lineage of hatred towards Israel and their disregard for the Lord as we see Tobiah also embracing. And they were to separate from them. And yet we see Eliashib, the priest, a relative of Tobiah, he settles, he compromises, he, he did not protect the holiness of the temple and he shied away from the devotion to the word of God and he sided right up to one who had this poisonous disrespect for the Lord. Warren Wiersbe wrote, it was bad enough that an Ammonite was living in the temple and that a Jewish high priest had let him in But this intruder was using a room dedicated to God for the storing of the offerings used by the Levites. So Tobiah defiled the temple by his presence and he robbed the servants of God at the same time. And yet, watch what Nehemiah does. We see Nehemiah's courage and determination as he steps in in verse 8. And man, this is such a fun chapter to get to see Nehemiah. He's such a strong person here. And and we get to see his boldness, his Chuck Norris-like skills. And so look at verse 8 and 9. Scripture says, I was very angry, it says about Nehemiah. I love how in this whole book, but in this chapter too, you see Nehemiah always uh, articulating or giving us this glimpse of his attitude. Like he was, he was very angry with this righteous anger and that precedes then his action. But we see his anger and then he moves and he steps in. Verse eight says, I was very angry. I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God. And I love it. So you see him, he throws him to the curb, he kicks him out, and then he fumigates the whole place. He wants to get rid of the very stench of the evil of Tobiah. If you look at verses 8 and 9, what I think is happening here is I believe that these verses give us a template of sorts for the way Nehemiah, the reformer in this chapter, he's a reformer here as he steps into every one of these scenarios, and you'll see him doing these three main things over and over again. You see Nehemiah face the wrong head on. He's not afraid to call evil, evil, right? And he'll, he'll, he'll say, I'm, I'm angry, this is evil, this is wrong. And you see him get into those people's faces. But then you see him deal with it severely. He throws him out, furniture and all. And you'll continue to see how Nehemiah doesn't play around with sin. He, he, he cuts it off. He, 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 gets it, he gets rid of it, even if he has to act pretty bold as he does it. And then thirdly, you see him reestablishing the right pattern. He brings back the vessels. He sets back in place the things that need to be put in place. So if you keep, if you keep tracking with the story, if you look at verses 10 through 14, you see the people now in this section, they're neglecting the house of God and the Levites. They broke their promise from chapter 10 that they would provide for the work of God. So Nehemiah comes back into Jerusalem and the Levites, they're not in the temple. They're out in the fields because the people of God were not providing for them. So they had to go work in order to eat. 
They had to go into the fields and farm. So in verse 11, Nehemiah confronts the officials and he says, why is the house of God forsaken? Which speaks against the, how the, it speaks towards the, the promise that they broke from chapter 10. But then he gathers back the Levites, he sets them in their stations and he reestablishes the treasures. The next section, if you look at verses 15 to 22, you see that the people have disregarded the Sabbath day. They compromised in their devotion to maintain that one day where they would rest, where they would pause, where they would celebrate God and, and, and commit the day to the Lord. Say, we trust you to provide and so we will rest on this one day. And Nehemiah comes back and sees that Jerusalem is a ready and active market on the Sabbath. Now, again, what's interesting about this chapter is that we don't get, we don't get the story of how they got here. We know that in chapter 12, uh, we know that they had this, that they, were, they were ready and willing and, and, and living for God. And then, then chapter 13, two years later, they're, they're not. And we can only assume that somewhere along the way, these small compromises stepped in. You know what? Let's just see what they're selling. Or, you know, we've worked hard, but we need to finish this thing. And so let's keep working on the Sabbath. Or, hey, Levites, we, we're not able to provide as much this time. And over over time, little by little, compromise after compromise, you can see it snowballing. But in this section, what does Nehemiah do? He confronts the nobles and he shuts the gate. And he says, the Sabbath, we're, Jerusalem is being closed for the Sabbath. And he shuts the gate. At one point, if you look at verse 21, he even, he even threatens to lay hands on the merchants who are trying to get, get in to set up shop. And in this last main section of the chapter, verses 23 to 27, you see the Jews compromising in their devotion to separate from joining in marriage with those who did not believe in the one true God. So they were marrying themselves to false gods, bringing false gods into their, their homes. And in this passage, if you look at that section, it gives these two vivid pictures of the dangers of this, this disobedience. Their children were being taught nothing of God. In fact, they couldn't even speak the language of God. And, 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 and let me just stop here. What's, what's so dangerous if a whole, like, this is so dangerous because what happens is that if you think about how if your children aren't being taught the things of God, a whole generation could be lost to the faith. The other picture Nehemiah brings up in this section is, is that of King Solomon. King Solomon married many, many women who worshipped other gods, and Scripture says that it caused even him, this amazingly wise, God-fearing one who loved him, to sin, and it led Solomon away from God, and that's the danger for them as well. And it's the danger for us when we commit our hearts to those who do not love God, or, or we yoke ourselves, we grow intimate towards those who do not love God. So Nehemiah confronts them and calls them to take an oath again that this would not be their practice anymore, and they do. I was reading a Bible professor's notes on this passage, and he makes the comment, he says this, passivity is an enemy. No leader dare play around with wrong. It must be taken by the throat. And Nehemiah does that. Uh, and he says, passivity is and remains an enemy. And I just wonder how that resonates with you. What about, what about you? Is there any sin in your life which you've grown passive towards? that you've allowed to stay or take up residence in your heart? Are there areas in your life where you feel like compromise has set in? I know for me, these, these, these same questions are, are hitting me as well. I, I felt the Lord saying to me this week, you know, I, I don't think you're treating the Bible 
with as much active obedience as you once did. I mean, you read the Bible, you honor, you, you know the, the value of the Bible, but, but you're not actively going, yes, obey it. Let me think about it. Let me act it out as much as you once did. And I know that that is something that resonated for me. Or, or also, I tend, I tend to make excuses sometimes around the Sabbath. I can justify not taking that moment, that day, that time to break and to trust God with the things that are all on my to-do list. And so what is it for you? Is compromise sitting in? And I think we need to be careful because compromise can so easily creep in. I mean, think about it. Many of us heard Chris, uh, Pastor Chris's message from two weeks ago where he's talking about Nehemiah 10 and the, the devotion dashboard. And you think of a car and all the different gauges. And he talked about the, our commitment to God's, uh, God's word, uh, purity, Sabbath, the works of God. And I just wonder, how are we doing? It's only been two weeks since that message. And, and, and Chris challenged us in a lot of ways. And you can see how quickly we can move away from some of those things. But here's what I want to draw you to in this section. What an interesting chapter to close the book with. This chapter leaves us wanting more. Um, It leaves us um, seeing very clearly the broken promises, the dashboard going crazy. um, And it makes us start looking around to the horizon going, man, what is... What's so broken? Why is this always happening? And it moves us. What I think it does is it moves us to remember and acknowledge that that we desperately need something. We desperately need a new heart. We need need someone to come in and break the cycle, to give us something that, that will fuel our faithfulness, and that something is grace. And remember what I said at the very beginning, I believe God is wanting us to see something more, something about us, yes, but also something about God primarily that 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 about what he's doing. And I and this is it. God is rebuilding a people marked by his grace. It was his grace that allowed his people to return to Jerusalem. It was his grace that allowed Nehemiah to step in one more time in this chapter to reset the story of sorts. And it's only grace that will make our dead hearts alive and keep us clinging to him. This chapter, this storyline of the people points us forward to Jesus. He's the one who takes our sin. He's the one who gives us grace that transforms our, life, our lives. And, that's, and that grace is what fuels our faithfulness. And this chapter, however broken it is, points us to him. It moves us to think about, yes, there's more. And, and he's building a people marked by his grace. But what does God want us to see from the storyline of Nehemiah? And I I believe it's this. That Nehemiah's courage and determination flowed from his main focus. And, And Nehemiah's main focus was he wanted to honor and glorify God above all else. As we've walked through the book of Nehemiah and looked closely at his life, a question that I've kept asking myself along the way is, what's fueled Nehemiah's resilience? What, what motivated his courage? Why was he so determined? How could he step in two years after, roll up his sleeves again, take another brick and start the work again? How could he do that? What fueled him? And we see through the passage, the book, that he feared the Lord. We see in Nehemiah that he trusted in the nature and the character of God, his great and amazing mercy and goodness and his steadfast love. We see in the book that Nehemiah was very dependent and aware of the presence of God, that he was convinced 
that God had this plan for his people and he was convinced of that plan and he lived in it. But I think that the last two verses of this chapter, the last two verses of the book, give us uh, a clue, give us an indication, again, of what Nehemiah's primary fuel was. So look at, look at the last two verses with me. The last two verses say this. And it kind of gives a summary of the chapter, but I, but I love it. It says, Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. But catch these last seven words. Remember me, O my God, for good. And it ends with this cool prayer. Remember me, O my God, for good. Five different times in the book, Nehemiah prays this, this, this word, remember. Remember me is twice in this chapter. Remember me, O my God. Nehemiah, now, Nehemiah didn't think that that God was a forgetful God. Nehemiah knew that God was one who remembers, but what this prayer is, what this statement is, it's pointing us to who he lived for. Let me say it like this. If I were to ask you the question, who do you want to remember you? What would you say? Truly, who do you want to remember you? Well, the answer to that question is most likely the person or persons who you are living for. Because the the persons you want to be remembered by are the persons you live for. So if you said your, your parents, that's who you're living for. If you say your family, your kids, yeah, that's amazing. That's who I'm living for. But we see here, Nehemiah has this primary focus. Who's he living for? And he says, remember me, oh my God. And it's this emphatic reminder that, that Nehemiah wanted the Lord, the Lord to remember him. His concern wasn't necessarily that all the people would remember him, although it's interesting, 2,500 years later, we're remembering him. But his, his primary concern was that God would remember him. And that's who he was living for. Nehemiah lived his life motivated by the glory of God. That's what drove him because he loved God. He trusted in God. He trusted in, trusted in his very real uh, presence and plan. And that's what fueled him. And God wants us to catch this vision and motivation also. God wants us as well to see that he's renewing a people, you and I, who will be motivated by his glory so that when you're tempted to sin, your eyes go to God and to his glory and say, I'm not gonna sin because I wanna glorify you. That when you are tempted to give up, your eyes go back to God and you go, I I know that God, you're doing something and and I wanna bring glory to you and I wanna be a part of your glory and what you're doing in the world. And when you're tempted to live for yourself, you remember it's not about my story, it's about your story and your glory. And And so we see here that God wants to renew a people and Nehemiah models this for us, but he wants to renew a people who are motivated by his glory. I love the way this book ends. Remember me, oh my God, for good. And it's almost like this, I can see the Lord saying or thinking in that prayer, I guess. You've completed the work. You finished what I've called you to do. You are faithful. And again, that's the core characteristic. God wants us to be faithful. And we see Nehemiah doing that. Which it reminds me of the, when Jesus in John 17 is praying, he says, Lord, Father, I've accomplished all the work you've called me to do. And it's so cool to see Nehemiah live that out. Now, although the book ends here, the story doesn't. The story lives on in you and me. 
In fact, you can say that this is another storyline. We have the people's broken promises. You have Nehemiah's courage. But now this third storyline is about the way that the word of God intersects with you and me. How does it intersect in your heart, in your life? And God is still very much about rebuilding and renewing a people who are marked by his grace and motivated by his glory. But what is God doing in you? Uh, I felt it appropriate and right to bring a brick with me today. Uh, On one level, because, you know, as you think about Nehemiah, it's about him rebuilding the walls. Um, and, And Nehemiah, you know, he accomplished this amazing project to do that. But more than that, here's what I was thinking. Encased in this brick, yes, it reminds us of the brokenness, the rubble, the destruction that was there when Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem to rebuild. But encased in this brick, I think, reminds us that there's yet again a new beginning. And in God, I can see him stooping down, picking up this brick and saying, "It's it's not too late. And this brick, I think, for some of us, could represent grace. Grace to you. So what happens when you sinned again? Hopefully you can see and just think of this brick. What if God's handing this brick and saying, it's not too late. It's never too late. This is grace to you. So when you think you've compromised too much, when you think you've, you've crossed the line too far that God wouldn't love you, you think, no, like, it's never too late. There's a, a pastor who said this, that as he's, he's, he's defining the whole book of, of Nehemiah. And he says that the core principle is it's never too late for new beginnings. And I think some of you need to hear that today. Now for others, this brick could, could represent new strength. Where God could be handing this brick to you and saying, this is, I want you to see this. And would you have new strength for a new work? Just like Nehemiah stepped in, he gathered the bricks, he takes another brick and he he builds and he renews the people and he steps in again. I think God could be saying to you, I'm not done with you yet. There's still tons of time. Join me in picking up another brick. and and, And this brick represents a great work in his eyes. And maybe you've grown complacent. Maybe you've just grown tired. Maybe you've grown grown, uh, passive. And he's saying, pick it up, live for my glory because I have a a great work I want you to do and and would you step in and take it? And so I I see in this brick, at the end of this book, at the end of this series, the Lord's saying, what is this brick? If he was handing you it, what would it represent to you? Is it grace? Which is great, take it. This is grace, new beginning. If it's, hey, a new work, new strength, keep going, because it's for his glory. Again, not for our glory, it's for his glory. Take it. And so I see the Lord at the end of this. I just wanted to kind of bring this as a, just a token to say that God is rebuilding and renewing a people who are motivated or who are, who are marked by his grace and motivated by his glory. And would you step into that? What a journey that we've been on through the book of Nehemiah. And may God be glorified and praised by the way our lives now take all that we've seen in this chapter and in this book and keep living it out for his glory. Hey, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the reminder of grace. 
Thank you so much for the vivid picture of Nehemiah, one who lived for you, sold out, strong, willing, ready. And God, if you're speaking to any of us in this room where you need to remind us that there's new grace, there's grace today. I mean, Christ, Christ brings grace. That's why he came to rescue us from our sin, to break the cycle. Help us to remember that. And God, if we've, if, if we've grown tired and we need to rem- remember your voice speaking and saying, join me. New strength today. Join the work. Help us to do that as well. God, as we head into this season, if there's something new that you want to do in us in this season, as we head into December, may you do it. God, we want to glorify you in all these things. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.